Hi everyone, this is Jean-Marc. I am the creator of DataMesh, uh, the founder of Next Data. We are reimagining what data sharing could look like. We are growing our team rapidly and we need you. If you're a distributed systems engineer, if you're a product manager or designer of a large-scale PaaS SaaS infrastructure, please check out our page at nextdata.com and look at our open roles. We'd love to hear from you. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mont. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left DataStacks, you know, thanks for all their help in ha- founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Leading a data transformation the empathetic and right way, going far together. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Benny Benford, the former CDO at Jaguar Land Rover, or JLR, and who is currently building out a community around data transformation. To be clear, he was only representing his own views on the episode, especially being former, right? (laughs) So here are some key takeaways or thoughts specifically from Benny's point of view. Number one, this one I think is controversial. As a data leader, if you want to be effective, you will have to focus much more on what role data work plays in the organization rather than the data work itself. It's about partnering and communication, not SQL and LLMs. That can be a hard lesson, but it's crucial to being successful. I know a lot of people have come up from doing the data work to become a data leader, But at some point, you kind of have to stop focusing on that specifically. It's a lot of the same thing when you see marketing leaders or anything like that, that they're no longer the ones that are writing the copy and doing the exact marketing activities. They're leading how that all works together. Number two, potentially controversial one. It's easy to try and common to want 
to separate data culture and the overall organizational culture, but it doesn't really work. You know, quote, data culture is an aspect of your organizational culture that you're trying to build and create. Number three, a guidepost for your transformation journey. Quote, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Number four, the data team can be leaders in transforming the organization, but they must do it in collaboration, not just going out as pioneers to like set an example or something. Absolutely partner with your transformation org if you have one. Number five, similarly, when you align your data cultural transformation to the overall organization transformation messaging, you aren't fighting for attention to a different message. You are using the momentum of the overall org's transformation strategy. Don't try to fight the tide if you don't have to. Try to get that data transformation as part of the org's strategy and messaging as well. So kind of those two combined together are about you can really easily fight the tide and really put a lot of effort into transformation. But if it's not aligned to the organization's transformation efforts, you're, you're <laughs> kind of barking up the wrong tree. Number six, giving the emerging attention to data in many organizations, it can be tempting to try to go off and, and again, set that culture. But that's almost certainly not what the company is asking a data leader to do. What, what are they asking a data leader to do? Is it to set the organization's culture or is it to lead how the organization interacts and works with data? Number seven, potentially controversial one. Quote, agile and data are two sides of the same coin. They're very close, just approaching things from different angles. You know, personal note, I mostly agree the big challenge is when people are overly rigid with their approaches to agile, you know, capital A agile, and this is the way to do agile, then it shouldn't look like your data <laughs> approach. Number eight, if you try to force people to share data, it often stokes fears of, can this data be used against me? And that is a rational fear in an overly competitive organization. You need assurance from senior management, you know, the board of directors even, that trying to undermine other lines of business or other domains will not be tolerated. If you want an open data sharing culture, you need to create clear consequences for internal political misuse. Number nine, specifically at JLR, when they opened up a lot more access in their Tableau environment, it felt risky for Benny and team, but because of their well-defined and broad-reaching an initiative, it was nothing but positives leading to far more, you know, better collaboration. Again, they had that thing of, you can't misuse this. If you misuse this, that's on you, and we're going to come after the, the misuser, not the person who might have not made the absolute optimal decision, right? Number 10, being frightened of change is totally normal. Don't try to solve every aspect ahead of time, right? Don't try and do that with data mesh. Oftentimes, you have to move with uncertainty. It's still in the mix. And just have a good framework for adjusting as you learn more. You know, that kind of bravery isn't a lack of fear. It's moving ahead despite your fear. You know, personal note here, I think this should be at the top of every data mesh strategy document. You, don't, you can't solve everything ahead of time, and you just need to move ahead despite your fear. Number 11, very few data leaders have strong transformational backgrounds, and it can be hard to drive transformation without that background. Look to educate yourself on how to drive effective transformation 
and really learn to level yourself up because you're now a leader and you're not just focused on data work. Number 12, champions forums for your data efforts are very effective. It can inspire others, but often it can also draw out existing challenges you might not have known. You know, that the people that are still succeeding, they're still hitting challenges. So, you know, it might be that that you can learn a lot more um, from them, right? Leverage those who will share their experiences to make it less scary and improve processes for those that follow in their footsteps. Number 13, all organizational choices essentially have puts and takes. Don't try to hide the weaknesses or challenges of whatever route you are taking. Be honest. Number 14, when decentralizing data work and ownership, many people in the centralized team may worry about their role and their future with the organization. Provide clarity and information on happy paths for them inside the organization, including their career development. This comes up a lot. Career development is something that a lot of people are worried about in Data Mesh. Number 15, try to explain how the transition is happening with you, not to you. You know, always talk to people about that. Easier said than done, of course. Number 16, when thinking about data transformation, it can be helpful to think of it as splitting into projects and program, right? You need someone minding each aspect. One person trying to add, add, you know, own both the day-to-day execution and the long-term change in how your data org works can be pretty difficult. It's a lot of work. So if you're in a big organization, you need, you know, a group or a person that's minding the programs and a group or a person that's minding the actual kind of day-to-day work. Number 17, potentially controversial. Transformation happens when a few people's main focus is leading that transformation. If you have transformation as a part of many people's roles, it's unlikely to amount to a a cohesive change effort, right? Oh, there isn't necessarily this is the exact strategy and this is the group that's leading it. Everybody's just kind of got it part of their thing. And so everybody might do a little bit, but it's it's not building enough momentum to really do a lot of change. Number 18, you don't have a huge, you don't need to have a huge training budget or permission to train everyone in the organization. As a data team, you can start a small training program, and as that sees success, you can build more and more. There's a lot of great free content out there around learning data. Make sure to organize it for people, but you can get going right now without, you know, a huge, okay, a big thumbs up, a bunch of budget for this. Number 19, get people used to the idea of imperfection in data, and then give them permission to do imperfect things. Don't be cavalier and sloppy, but it's okay that things provide value without being, you know, kind of quote-unquote perfect. Jamak has said the same thing. Number 20, every organization is far more immature with data than they show publicly. Everyone feels like they are behind. Meet your peers and embrace sharing reality with them instead of the Instagram view of your data transformation. It will lead to better information sharing and probably also better sleep at night because you realize that you're not that far behind. This one can be hard in, in you can't do it necessarily in presentations because of people's comms departments and things like that. But get in conversations with people. This is why I've created Data Mesh Understanding to get these conversations going. Number 21. It's crucial for data leaders to find allies across the organization. You can't transform a 5,000-person organization by yourself. Other teams can provide you leverage and support. Partner with those willing to partner.
Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Benny Benford here, who's the former CDO of Jaguar Land Rover. So being former, of course, he's only representing his own views, but he's uh, currently doing some consulting around data while working on a startup as well. And we're going to be talking about a whole heck of a lot of different things. I've got about 50 different bullet points here, so we're probably not going to be getting to a lot of them. But a lot of people have probably seen Benny out there um, talking about like data leadership, and it's not what I would call kind of quote unquote thought leadership, because it's actually like, here are some specifics. Here are some things that are not vague. So if you uh, read some of his LinkedIn posts, so we're going to be talking about kind of data culture and how do we actually drive to that? How do we engage and mature data communities? He's, uh, Benny talks a lot about getting to data maturity and and not just like only trying to hire, but build internally and things like that, um, you know, it can be threatening in general to go through a data transformation. So how do we kind of get people ready for that? Um, we've talked a little bit about this. I don't know if we'll get into too much of it, but uh, we both kind of have this idea of the poisoned well of where information coming from only vendors uh, can mean that there's that they're going to tell you that the way to solve this is via their solution instead of kind of the approaches. And so I think we'll wrap through a whole lot of things. But um, before we jump into that, Benny, if you don't mind giving people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Sure. Uh, so my background, um, I was actually a teacher first, which is, I guess, why I learned everything's about people and skills. Um, I then spent a while as a business transformation consultant uh, before concluding the world was a bit backwards and moving into tech and data. Um, I worked as a consultant for a while before working at Jaguar Land Rover for six years. Uh, leading data strategy and eventually as chief data officer uh, left about five months ago, took a bit of a career break to focus on being a dad and now doing some consulting work and I'm working on a startup. Awesome. And so I think that that teacher angle is going to kind of come through this a lot because, you know, with teacher, it's not that you get to go out and, and uh, hire your students, right? That you're, you're like, hey, we have to build this knowledge base and you've seen what that can actually do to people. So let's let's but let's start with that kind of what you were doing a lot at JLR was was kind of creating a data culture and shaping your data culture. So like how do you think about your data culture being different from your organization's culture overall? And how do you think about building it out? So let's let's do kind of two different scenario analysis almost of if you've got an org culture that's prepared for a good data culture, and maybe if you have an org culture that isn't, like, do you have any places where you would recommend people start, especially in that thing where it's like, our org culture isn't this super, super collaborative. So how do we start to create that space in the data space when especially people think of data as right or wrong and we need to get to like how this is about understanding and driving better things like how do you think about 
I know it's a difficult question, but how do you think about starting that process to build the space? And and do you have expectations to to give people about this isn't going to be a three month process? Um, I mean, that's a great question and a difficult one to start on. I I don't think you can separate data culture and organizational culture. Um, I certainly, maybe not consciously, but made that mistake earlier on. Um, data culture is something is an aspect of the organizational culture that you're trying to build and create. Um, and I think that's actually a really, really important distinction. As a as a practical example, most organizations, I think most organizations in general, but certainly of any scale, have uh, a framework. They've got their mission statement, their value statements, guiding around who they are. All of your definition of data culture needs to come off that. And if you need to change that, you need to feed back to that. But otherwise, you're leading um, you're leading a revolution with what aim? Taking people away from what's already there and you're, you're fighting um, quite a large change, you're also going to find yourself in conflict with the other major changes going on in an organization. So whilst I was at JLR, just to think of the context there, there was a big customer first push and, and transformation. There was an agile transformation. And that was what led me to, to realize that you can't have data as being separate because take your average person, they're being given, you need to be agile. You need to be customer first. You need to be our company's principles. You need to be data. Whoa, that's kind of a lot. So I, I think it's the job of transformation people to help define a common vision for what the future culture of the organization is and data has a huge amount to say about that but but it shouldn't be separate and shouldn't be different um i've forgotten what the second half of the question was well i think that that's good is that you kind of answered the the second half which was like if somebody is in the an organization that isn't ready for doing data culture the right way it sounds like a lot of what you're going to be pressing on is doing overall culture the right way, like pushing this into the transformation. And you say that the data is tied to the transformation, but we have to figure out how we do transformation correctly before we can figure out how we do data correctly. Is is that what I'm paraphrasing? You yeah, correctly? it's, and maybe it depends the stage you're at. Um, there's an analogy, analogy, there's a, a phrase I really like, which is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Maybe at the beginning when you're just starting something out, it's okay to go and define something separate to get some momentum, get a few people along with you. But if you want to bring the organization with you, you need to be part of the organization. So, and it's much more powerful. So reaching out to the central comms team and making sure that everything you do in communications, they're aligned with, uh, and they can play the messages as well, rather than being a separate comms signal in the organization. Reach out to the transformation team if there is some effort going on to redefine corporate culture. It's a practical example because it's very theoretical, and I like the way you described it. Try, try not to do thought leadership. The first few times we've had efforts to really drive improvements to data culture, we went through an exercise with different teams to get people aligned of defining what data culture would mean for the organization, what the principles were. And, and we communicated those out to people. The last time I was involved in doing that exercise, we did that as the prep. And then we went to the, it happened that JLR was redefining its principles at the time. We aligned everything underneath those. And then when we were going to people and saying, look, this is how we should behave and this is what you should do. It wasn't yet another message. We didn't have to 
do any work to emphasize our, our authority and why they needed to listen to us. It was, by the way, we've been part of the transformation. This is what the future behaviors and culture of the organization are like. This is how data relates to that. It's harder. It takes more time. But then everyone else in the company who's involved in change is helping to do your job because they're also communicating that data is important. And it's not just the data team trying to do that. So I think you need to you need to work on the center, maybe not to start with, but but eventually and get data being defined as part of your organizational culture. It's it's like building a building. Do you want to build a shanty because you want to get something up and done? and Or, or do you want something that is going to last, you know, uh, we have we we lost the the formula for the the kind of cement that the Romans used or whatever, but the Colosseum, a lot of it's still standing, right? Like yeah. if if you build right, you build for a long time, and you and you do have to make sure that you're doing things in a good direction, but you also can build that. But you do, like you said, you have to have that cohesion. You have to think about that bedrock. You have to think about how do we build out this incrementally instead of I'm just going to put something up today, right? Like, And you have to recognize being part of a broader whole. I think it's very tempting, particularly a lot of people in data spent time working in data in a period where it wasn't that popular. And now suddenly it is popular. It's like, hey, I can go and do my own thing. And that's really, really tempting. Your role should be to define organizational culture and as a data leader to, to influence defining what that is not to go off and define where the organization itself should be. That's not your remit and you'll you'll spend far too much effort on it. So yeah, and then it's exciting because I actually think, um, not wanting to go down this rabbit hole, there's an article I keep wanting to write and haven't quite finished my thoughts on. I think agile and data culture are two sides of the same coin. I think they're almost identical. They're just looking at things from a different way. And that's really powerful because if you've got an agile transformation going on and you can have that conversation with the agile team, you then start to make change much, much quicker. Sounds like you need to talk to Shane Gibson because he's been uh, pounding that drum uh, for for a long time. But and I actually have a mesh musing that will be out by the time this is out on that of why do people in data hate agile so much? And it's because agile, when done wrong, is very much about ceremony, and that's very much the data warehouse kind of thing of like mm. this is the exact structure, and if you try to structure too much, then it it becomes exactly not agile, right? Like that's why safe can be useful, but a lot of times safe goes way, way wrong when it comes to agile and things like that. Um, one thing that you brought up in the pre-call that I did want to touch on briefly, because I thought it was a really, really useful point that people should kind of poke at a little bit was you talked about not rewarding throwing rocks, which is when people use informational advantages over other domains to kind of cut them down. Right. And that can be, oh, I now have access to your data. I can kind of start to try to figure out what you've done wrong or do things like that in that way. So I wanted to talk about what, how you can protect against that in a transformation, because it is something, this is something that's come up um, as an underlying fear for people is if I let everybody know what all I've been doing, they can relitigate what I've done. They can look at for past mistakes and then they can try and blame me for past mistakes and maybe hold me accountable to those and things like that. And that's that's obviously a bad, bad kind of approach. So wanted to get kind of your thoughts on that because I thought that was a really useful um, thing to be aware of. Yeah. And that's 
part of building on the previous comment around being involved in an organizational change, because arguably that's not a data behavior for throwing rocks, and it shouldn't be the data team's responsibility to go and solve that behavior. Um, that's an organizational behavior. Uh, it, it's linked to the to the mindset of um, of hierarchies as well, where I can only report data up my hierarchy, and then people deal with things at certain levels. Uh, it's hard, and and it comes with time and trust. I tried. Um, knocking down fences and just forcing people to share data and that surfaced these fears. Uh, you then set out, just give people comfort with the rules and explain, well, that would be bad behavior by the data rules. The way that we believe people should be uh, using data is that whenever you use data, you need to notify the data owner what you're using it for. So in an instance where someone uses data that's your data, identifies an opportunity or mismanagement in your area that you weren't aware of and tells everyone else but not telling you first, I agree with you. They are the one who has behaved badly. I would be on your side to say that they are with poor behavior. And and that's enough, I think. Just in my experience, it's enough to, to, to reassure people. Practically, you need support at senior levels to change organizational behavior like, like that. Um, and I was lucky uh, around about the time I made CDO and got to, to to drive change in a more comprehensive way. There was a big cultural transformation in, in, in the organization that I was in. It was caused by a new CEO coming in, and he drove a lot of differences at board level. Um, and you know, I can mention that because it's been discussed externally. There's, there's a whole revitalization of... Um, uh, of JLR's uh, values and principles. Without that, it's hard. You've just got to make friends and tell people, look, I will reassure you. Uh, but I think you're then limited to driving change at your level, maybe your level plus one. So you can reassure someone one level more senior than you that if someone abuses data, you'll be on their side. But it's not really going to assure a board member. <laughs> what does that matter if I'm on their side? So it takes time. And that's where I think you can only get so far in driving really good data culture without a CEO who's driving good organizational behaviors. Yeah, and I think that this is something that a lot of people that are in organizations that are dysfunctional, it's it's a tough decision where you say, hey, do you just have to go find a new job or not? That's not the the easiest answer, but at some in some cases, it's like, you know, the whole uh, grant me this, the serenity to accept the things I can't change, you know, the will to change what I can and the wisdom to know the difference between the, the two of like, at some point you just kind of have to say, okay, there are certain things you can change and certain things you can't at certain levels. You, you're not able to assure everyone that everybody's going to behave appropriately. And that, that becomes difficult. I agree. I think the other anecdote to share, and it depends on your risk appetite, Something that I thought was one of the riskier things I ever did uh, before I made CDO and had arguably a remit to do this um, is we were changing our Tableau environment. We changed the permission model to bring in role and attribute-based security and that enabled if a project was classified as proprietary information, everyone in the organization had access. If it was classified as confidential information, every manager in the organization had access because there was precedent for that. Managers get sent confidential packs. If it was described as company secret, every director had access. And um, we did it because, you know, we're data people. We thought it was the right thing to do. 
we'd seen all sorts of pain points, which I don't need to go into, that that showed it would drive improvements and, and improve efficiency. I really expected it to be a very risky maneuver, and I was expecting at some stage someone to get very, very angry about it and to ask me why it had happened. It didn't. That, that matter of fact happened. It only drove positives. We measured uh, using logs how functions were collaborating were were finance just using finance reports or were they using purchasing reports and HR reports and collaboration improved dramatically and no one ever complained. So I think if it's risky and you know that could have gone wrong, I could have absolutely got hold over the coals by someone uh, much more senior than me and said, well, why is my functions information being made available to everyone else? It would have been a different situation. So I, I think you, you you can also just try that test and see what happens approach. Yeah, and I well, and I think you know, in a highly highly regulated space, there are certain things that you can't do around that. But I think um, Sarita Bax from J.P. Morgan Chase, when she was on, she was talking about everybody has access to understand what's in a data product. They may not be able to pull it down, but they can see the column names. They may be able to, and then what happened in in banking, especially because it's. You know, financial services is its own goofy little thing where each line of business literally has its own budget and can pay each other. Like they have actual internal, actual transfers of actual money. It's not even just like on paper, it's literal transfers. But um, they uh, would have these discussions and somebody would go, Oh, you're trying to do this. I'm going to open up these different lanes to unlock the value for you. And so it it didn't even just like there are certain ways where you can even do this where you don't go everybody has access to everything, but that you can create ways to generate conversations to exchange the context of what are you actually trying to do, and that also creates that collaborative nature. So I I, I like these things of forcing the conversation around collaboration and there are going to be some people that are resistant to it but that seems to be working the best for people is you get the most value when you create a space where collaboration is the norm and pushing back on collaboration you're seen as an outlier and that just kind of somehow flips a switch in people where they go oh okay this doesn't have to be so scary we can we can be in this together and, and stuff like that. So I did want to talk about that that aspect in general that kind of a lot of what we've been talking about is it can be kind of threatening to go through a data transformation. All transformation it, to all humans, everything is is threatening. You know, I'm in the middle of a move. I'm, I'm doing a lift and shift of my whole life to a foreign country. So that's, you know, very psychologically threatening in a lot of different ways. But like, how do you think about making this far less scary? You know, we talked a little bit about the data skeletons in somebody's closet where you go like what past decisions were bad or, or like in general, this can be psychologically threatening to go through such a big transformation. So I wanted to get kind of your thoughts on having been inside of this and now you're consulting with folks and kind of helping them on this. You've talked in, in a lot of kind of public places about this. So like how... How would you recommend a data leader talk to people about this to get it to be, you know, you're not going to uh, allay every fear, but how would you get them to be more comfortable or how do you tease out those fears so that they're at least in the open so that you can actually address them? And, and sometimes it's like, yeah, that's scary. We have to trust each other. 
and I don't have a solution for you, but like, let's make sure that it's out in the open and keep an eye on it. I, that's a really big part of it. And I think it's something that your training and becoming a data leader, if you've come through the technical route, doesn't equip you for that you haven't solved all of the issues. You don't go live with a, a critical um, algorithm, a critical data set without actually having resolved all of the issues that are regarded as issues. But, but with cultural change, I think a lot of people wait till they've solved all the issues and people go, I'm no longer scared. That that That's not possible. You've got to say to people, it's okay to be scared. Have those meetings where um, I use champion forums a lot. I encourage everyone to have a champions forum. I think it's the only way that you can drive a, a data transformation organization of any scale because you need contacts everywhere, uh, but you can't talk to everyone. And have the forums where you, you change management. You go around once and go, this is what we're going to do. What are your concerns? And then you have the meeting again with all of the, the, the champions a bit later and you start off with, this is what we heard were your concerns. This is what we're going to do to try and alleviate some of those concerns. And you've done two things there. You've said, uh, or maybe more, you've said, we've listened. You're not alone because we've played back the concerns and people then look at that piece of paper and they go, oh, they're only showing the stuff which everyone said and all my stuff's there. So actually, I, I'm in this together. There's a lot of sense of, uh, of being in it together. Uh, and I think you, I don't think, I, I know you have to go down the democratization route. So it's threatening to say we're bringing in something that only a small number of people can do and have access to. So if you believe in centralized data work, big, powerful centralized data science teams doing the work for everyone else, massively threatening. Because what you're saying to everyone, or certainly what it appears, when you come in with a new skill set like data science, um, that can solve problems very, very differently and in, in some ways a better way to how they were done before. People look at that and go, whoa, these people can seemingly do magic. They can do things that we can't do. If they can do what I could do better, what's my role anymore? What they don't realize is there's loads of things that data scientists can't do. They don't have domain knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. So, so helping people to understand both sides have weaknesses, but opening it up. We're not bringing in a new way of working that's done centrally and a transformation's happening to you. We are bringing skills to everyone. If you want to get on this journey and you want to learn how to, to use cloud environments yourself, you want to, to develop your own BI report to start with and then data engineering to support it to be more sophisticated, then algorithm to do more on the top of that, we're here to help you do that. This is for everyone. I think it's really, really important. Oh, I think one... Uh a couple of things that you you said in there of like it's okay to be scared you're telling people their their feelings are valid instead of no nah, no nah, this is just going to solve everything you don't need to worry about it and it's like no like this is tough this is going to be difficult this is we're we're in this together and that uh, what you said about as well is the transformation happening to you versus with you and through you like that if you can frame it in that way of like hey, we're not taking all of this value and putting it on this other team and you're just now kind of a consumer. You're you're the thing that we're going to automate next because the data people, the smart data people have come in and done all of the things. You're the ones who understand how the business works. So we want to empower you to do this, but we also don't want you to have to do all of this crazy, um, deep, deep data work 
when it's not a value for you to do that. So we want to tie you in so that you're providing the most leverage and they're providing the most leverage and that we're, we're teaming it all together and that we're not taking this out of you, you know, business line owners hands. We're, we're empowering you to be so much more knowledgeable about your own aspects of your business. And so you can do smaller experiments, you can pivot faster, you can move quicker and you can do all of these things, but that we're also playing well together. I think that that can play well, but it also you, you have to be careful in those conversations. I keep talking to people about driving the buy-in and people are like, you know, people view it as a, a switch that you have flipped and this person is now bought in. And it's like, no, it's whack-a-mole, right? These things just keep popping up and you just got to keep knocking down the 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 fears and the doubts and the you know and addressing them and not just bopping the person on the head you know the analogy isn't perfect but that those fears just keep popping back up and it's not as if you have solved the fear versus like hey i'm going to continue it's like building a relationship with somebody you have that continuing conversation it's not as if you have the perfect relationship or the perfect marriage or anything and then it everything stays frozen everything evolves and so that you're constantly having those conversations seems to be the thing that just keeps coming through but data people don't want to hear that cuz they when they hear the the switch has been flipped they they want to hear the switch is flipped they want perfection um and i also think there's a lot to be said for a servant leader approach and i every call i kicked off with the data champions community or with other change things my role is to help you succeed that's why i'm here um and and all of the stuff that comes with surfer leadership vulnerability oh wow he's scared too uh, it's you know these are the real eq things we focus a lot on iq and data around um algorithm science computer science but a lot of the eq uh, around vulnerability and leadership is, is really important here well and i i think that's part of the reason that data mesh took off as much as it has is you know hopefully i've, I've helped foster that a little bit in the community but i mean if you watch any of jamak's stuff like especially early how much she's saying we have to figure out how to do this because i think this is the right way to approach this but we have no idea how to do this very well right now. And like, we need to figure this out together. We can do it. I believe in, in the, the community and, and, and all of that, but we, we have to be kind of working together on this cause it's not easy. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean, there's so many different ways we could go from this, but I, I think a good transition from this as well is into that building out like, how do you create space so that you can do these tr data transformations? How do you engage with your organization internally to build out the capabilities? How do you get the approval to do this, right? Like, how did, how did that work? Or did you just kind of, again, some people are like, oh, I lucked out. My, my CEO, the new CEO came in and said, we want to do all these changes. And therefore, you just had the budget to do it. But like, how would you talk to people about getting the space to create the right um, space for people to learn and evolve so that they can be good at this data stuff. Because it's, it's again, people relative to data think right or wrong instead of how much can I trust this? How, how can I get to better instead of, you know, kind of that get good culture of like, you're either 
data informed or you're not, you know, you're either data literate or you're not versus what's your level of data fluency. So just a lot around that. Like, how would you recommend people start down that? And then we can talk about like, what have you learned and, and, and what, what does it take to go from, you know, at the starting line to kind of into somewhat of a pace versus winning the race? It's a really good question. I mean, the way I started was, was quite weird actually. Um, and is a coincidence, which is it's an anecdote we're sharing maybe before I get onto advice to others. I when I joined Jagulandra start the data team, I was the first external recruit, there was um first hire, and I was at senior manager level, and had this massive conversation around ambition. I said, Well, you know, this is nuts to just have one senior manager, which was all that was approved for for a team that was going to get much bigger than that. We need at least another senior manager. And uh, I got that argument was one, but said, well, what, what will they do? And the best that myself uh, and the person I, uh, I, I talked to is a good friend of mine and kind of co-led the transformation for, throughout this was, well, one of us will work on projects and one of us will work on program. So one of us will go and do the data work and one of us will transform the organization. Um, that's a good way to explain it to people. And so it started with that, that stupid starting point, Richard Bovey went on the project route to deliver change in the more traditional way that's thought of go and develop an algorithm and make sure it's deployed to the I report lead teams that do that. You know, we, we did matrix and get involved. My role was to help set up the team and then transition to let's go and change the organization. Um, so there was a bit of, I guess, serendipity in that initial thing, but it is the biggest bugbear I have when I talk to people around data strategy and they say that data transformation is not really working in their company. I say, well, do you have anyone working on it? Of course we do. You know, a, is it their dedicated role? Oh no! So you don't have anyone dedicated to a data, data transformation, and it and it's not happening. I think a lot of people think if we do enough projects, we'll have a data transformation. It's an it's an entirely different set of activities and way of thinking. Um, so whilst it ended up through a very weird start as my role, we had very very few people dedicated to it at the start. It was myself and two rotating other roles until we'd really made the case for it. And the way we did it was. Is, is infinitely replicable elsewhere. You start by offering training. I can't think there's an organization in the world where if the central data team said, we want to run some training courses, people won't put their hand up and go, yes, please. And it's a brilliant training activity for the people who give the training courses. They build their network. They learn about people in the organization. They learn communication skills. And then you've, then you've got your champions network right there because those are the people who said, I want some skills. Then you start to ask them, well, what do you want the skills for? And you get all of these ideas coming at you. And then you learn the lesson that, well, actually, you can't essentially do a data strategy because I never would have thought of half of those. And you can report those ideas to people. It's really, really hard at this stage, really hard because people come up with amazing ideas, but those data champions are mostly analysts dotted in ones and twos across the whole company. And it's really hard for them to deliver a complex project. But some of them make, make great progress. And the, the flywheel that you want to create is you build a network, you have a mechanism for them to report success stories to you and opportunities to you. If they come up with an opportunity that's so big they can't deliver it, there's a mechanism for it to go to your central team and you capture success and you celebrate success. And as you start to do that, people will go, we want more of this. Well, you want more. Do you realize that those, I mean, the first champions program that we ran had 200 champions internationally, international company. Um, and we had three people on the transformation 
program at that time. And you turn around and go, you want more of this? Well, we trained 200 people from three people. Of course, we borrowed people from elsewhere to run the courses and stuff. And you start to scale and you start to understand what the different skill sets are. It's around comms, around change programs, around running a central portal. Training doesn't scale when you're delivering itself. You need to bring in training partners. You get onto org design because those ones and twos can't, all of that good stuff, which we could talk about. But the flywheel you want to create is communicate to get people excited, offer them training. At the start, you'll get some people who will do loads in their own free time. The, the innovators, they will pick up things really quickly, document their success stories, capture success, then ask for money to go and do more. Yeah, I think that that proof is in the pudding of like, how do you how do you prove that this is working along the way? This has been the the things with, I mean, big data projects for many reasons fail. Like part of it is the kitchen sink request of, I know it's going to take me a year to get anything new on this anyway. So I'm going to put in all of my requests because I know of these 20 things that I request, three or four of them are going to be of value. I don't know which three or four, so I've got to do that. But like, you're not proving the value along the way. Things are evolving and you're still sticking to your original plan and, and all of that. So I think what you're talking about is even, it's it's a, almost the same. I mean, it's I don't want to call it the data mesh approach because data mesh borrows from everything else in this approach, but it's the that agile approach. It's that, hey, we're showing that this can scale. We're showing that we can get better and better at this. We're showing that we're learning from this and we're taking those learnings and improving and once we prove out value, then we're expanding it, but we're not going all of a sudden, okay, this proved out value for these 200 people. Therefore, everybody is now in training for the next quarter, right? Like you're not, you're not doing those kind of, you know, either a one or a zero type approach, but that you're also showing people this, this career path. But like, I know a lot of people struggle to get that training budget. Do you have advice on, on that? I mean, you kind of gave some there, but I, I'd love to hear, do you have anything specific on getting people that budget to start to train their their teams internally on this? Don't need one. Um, the So I've literally, uh, literally, yeah, the last call I had before I joined to, to make this recording, um, looking at a training course that I'm developing for another organization, and I put in there a slide on the maturity journey that happened with the community at Jaguar Land Rover to really emphasize this point. Year one, people that the central data team knew, do you want some training? We'll give it for you. No budget required. Year two, offered a champions program. Most of the training from that was dear vendors, what can you do for free? Pointing people to free videos on the internet. No budget was required. Year three, uh, we thought we were going to get budget financial crisis for automotive when automotive firms were in decline we lost the budget so we asked the champions to and not all of them did but a lot of them did can you go and extend and repeat the training in your area year four we got money but the uh, and but it wasn't oil the ocean money year five we got a lot of money i made cdo at that point um we six thousand people were trained uh on on tableau for a whole series of methods 800 people went on an apprenticeship program, major investment. But the point is that at every stage, it's true agile, at every stage on that journey, it wasn't like it was five years to build a business case. Every stage value was delivered. 
and you can deliver value for free by some people in the central team devoting some time to training through their network. There's so much free resources out there. And then you 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 scale. And of course, the sooner you get budget, the 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 better in some ways, although myself and Richard have debated the question um a couple of times, were we successful because budget was so tight? So if you know it's the classic thing, if you give someone unlimited budget, they'll just go and spend and they won't think about what they're doing. If if you've got no resources, you think really, really hard about how you're going to succeed. And you have to be very, very clever with your execution plan. Versus it's why I think a lot of data initiatives fail. People are given budget to do data, so they just go and throw it all onto Snowflake or GCP or AWS because they had money. But if they weren't given that money by the CFO and they had to argue for every penny, I think you'd be a lot more successful. So you can start with that money. There's so much free training available. Uh, it's about exciting people. It won't change the organization. It won't get you to where you need to be, but it will be the business case. It will be, get people excited. It will build momentum. You will start a change journey and you will deliver value from day one. It's it's funny because, you know, a lot of people, when I say, if, you know, I'm starting my own consulting company, but um, if I were to ever do a startup, my startup is around that like learning journey space because it is so awfully managed all of these things. Cause it's like this wiki and it's like, you must go in this specific order and people just drop links instead of like, here's why I included this. Here's what I think you should focus on. Okay, you're done. Come back to this, write your own notes, and then look at what what I thought was important from this. But you've got your own notes and that you can say like, what's the relevancy to this topic? Okay, I only want to learn a couple of things on this topic and then I want to bounce over this other topic. And, you know, okay, the relevancy factor of this content to this. Oh, I want, you know, a very, very wide range because this is the most important aspect of this topic because a lot of what you're talking about there is just like I have to provide people the what is useful because there's so much noise out there right if I find this uh, especially around the data contract space where you know I, I started doing a deep dive into that in uh, December and January of 2022 not 2023 like I, I started doing that because uh, a lot of people were bringing it up to me in private as this is the thing that we don't get how to do. And so much of this stuff is is just, I, I find it useless, the, the content that comes out of it, because it's just this talk. And what I'm finding is we, we don't give each other the words to express what we actually need. I could go on this long tangent about pets with buttons, but like... I don't know if you've seen this or, or you know, you've got a, a young child um, that you give them buttons and so they can kind of communicate instead of trying to use their own words. They have words that have preset meanings and they can learn how to communicate more easily via those. We have to give each other the language to communicate about data. And so I think a lot of what you're talking about here is just making this less scary, making this less daunting, making it so people can head down this path and that you don't make this make or break. You know, you don't say we are uh, carving out a quarter for you to learn how to do this. We're going to make this so that you're capable and we're going to give you the support. But it's not as if we're um, making this make or break. And I think that's that's just resonating through a lot of what you're saying. I, I don't know if I'm summing you up well, but. Yeah, it's. Um... If all you can do is crawl, crawl. I mean, it, it's if if you can, 
hence the link with Agile. Just give people the confidence to do something to get started, to be comfort with comfortable with imperfection. Took maybe later down the journey, actually tell them the truth that the world will always be imperfect. But but get them confident just to make a start because a lot of people will struggle with that message until they've been working for a while and really and you play it back to them and go, have you achieved value for the last two years? Yes. Was the world perfect? No. There you go. Like they really get it is. It's it's about confidence. It's a change is all about confidence. Um so yeah, I completely agree with you. And and the link with Agile, just get started. No one knows how to do this. The the thing I would love to happen, so I can't say who this conversation was with, but someone I met at a networking event at a company that's very well known for being very, very good at data, technology company, uh, spoke to me to say they wanted to learn from what we done at JLI. And I was like, whoa, no, you, no, you don't. We, we're an immature old company. And, and they admitted that the company that they were in had all sorts of data issues where Excel sheets were used for for all sorts of things. Again, can't, can't mention any of them a lot. I wish we knew that about every company. Because instead, we see the examples about, uh, again, I'm not going to mention any companies in case it gives things away, about, you know, this company is amazing. Look at how they've done this recommendation algorithm. Look at how they've done this. And we don't realize that that's one good data product that's probably patchy in the background. And the rest of the organization is managing off Excel and CSV files. It, the reality is it's really, really imperfect. And we need to accept that, embrace it, and just keep keep making progress. We, we see the Instagram version of everybody's you know, data implementation and their data practices. It's it's so frustrating for me. And this is something I tried to create the vulnerability uh, space with the data mesh learning community and things like that. And I'm still like, it's been a much more vulnerable space, but it's still not. And that's why I'm starting some like private introductions and things like that. What I find is when I introduce data leaders, they come back to me and they went, I thought that they were, you know, four years ahead of me. And it turns out that we're about on par. And the other person comes back to me and goes, I thought they were four years ahead of me. And it turns out we were, and it's just, you know, or um, the number of times I've introduced two people to each other. And they're like, I've always wanted to talk to that person. And both people said that. And I'm just like, why didn't you? Um, but I think one other thing that where you talked about, it's okay to be scared. Bravery is not not being scared. It's it's going forward when you are scared. It's that this stuff can be scary, but it's still moving forward. And I think that's where we can talk about that that aspects of, of things. But yes, I, more people need to exchange these. It, what I'm finding is nobody can really do it in the public because of comms teams and things like that. But everybody needs to just be talking to each other more. It's gonna it's gonna improve your mental health so much as a data leader to just go and be like open kimono here's where we're struggling and so um so i mean there's there's eight million different ways we could kind of um start to wrap up this episode but uh is there anything that you wanted to kind of head into in the last you know five or six minutes as as we're kind of landing the episode you know is that around um how to actually mature your, your data communities, we've kind of talked about that, but like what tips and tricks there, you know, how do you find those distributed ideas? How do you get people to kind of get into a, if you see something, say something mode and exchanging information with each other when it's not necessarily their job to do that? Like, how do you think about um, 
how you'd want to wrap up this this kind of general conversation. I think find allies. Um, it's if you're a data team outside of IT, you know that you have to build a partnership with IT to progress. But a lot of people kind of stop there. Every data team should have a close relationship with HR. And if you have a transformation function in your business with transformation and talk to them in a really open way, say, we're trying to drive this data transformation. There's lots of stuff we don't know. I'd love to learn from you. And I guarantee you, they will be able to teach you so much and they'll be so open for the conversation because everyone wants to learn about data right now. So I think that's the, the biggest advice is to run to really set up a concept like mesh and to drive or to drive cultural change in communities, however you want to look at this, depending on your preferred language, you need skills that aren't data skills. So go and find people who aren't data people and and you'll learn so much from them. One, you know, that's kind of be curious, go out there and be be friendly and things. But one thing that keeps coming up is this idea of talking in the language of the business. Data people can't talk in the language of the data people. And so then they're like, do I ever get to do my my work? And, and you know, some data people just want to focus on the data work. And that's where you end up kind of missing the point of the value and stuff like that. But how far is too far? Right? Do you, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very difficult question to just say, you know, give me the exact point on the thing. But like, how are you going to them and talking only in their language and then slowly bringing them more and more into the language of data? Are you going and saying, like, how do we communicate? Like, how, if, if your organization doesn't have these, these channels, are you just reaching out to people and saying, I want to figure out how we can support you, or I want to figure out how we can integrate, or I want your help? Like, what's been the most useful thing is it, you know, kind of building them up and saying, I want your help, but you're, 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 you know, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Or like, how, how have you found that to actually work well? The answer will depend massively on your role and where you're at. It clearly, it would be too, you know, I said, everyone go and reach out to HR. Now, if everyone in the data team started a conversation with HR, that would be too far. It's, it's down, it's down to the role. It's the role of the it's a horrible thing because I think lots of people on data love data. That's why they're there. But if you're a leader, you move away from the area you started. Accept it. It's horrible. Uh, find the time when you get still get to practice SQL if that's your thing. But your role at work is no longer data. Accept it. Go and forge relationships. Um, and then if you build a uh, a transformation team, then they'll start to manage those relationships. And accept that you can't do them all to start with. So it's agile again and prioritization. The as an example, I knew from very early on that I wanted to be meeting with the learning and development team regularly. I didn't have the time. There were the transformation team was too small. There were other relationships that we deemed more important. We just knew we'd have to get around to it. Once the transformation team got bigger, all right, we had someone who met with the learning and development team every week. Brilliant. So except except you're on a journey. And prioritize and don't kick yourself for not doing it all. But if you are in a leadership position and you're one you're responsible for or you want to transition to, to transformation, then you need to be stepping away from data a little bit. Not everyone does. Uh, that, that would be insane. We don't say everyone in engineering needs to step away from engineering, but of course, engineering needs to understand the customer. They don't all go and speak to, to customer sales agents. So you can take these things too literally. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good kind of balanced approach. And and I I liked what you said earlier, especially when you said in year one, in year two, in year three, in year four, in year five. And like that year five, like people want, you know, people have thought of data as I need to get to this immediately instead of you get to some value and you build on that incremental value. And I think that's been resonating through a lot of this is it's okay to give yourself a break as a data leader. It's okay to not be this ideal picture because nobody's actually that ideal picture. The more you dig in, the more mess there is, but the more that you can start to build towards value and, and that, Again, everybody's kind of showing you their Instagram face of of what's going on here. So, um, well, so uh, we we talked about a whole heck of a lot. Uh, you know, we've got a, a little bit of time if you want to put any button on it. But uh, is there anything we didn't cover that you really think people should should know about? Or no, I, th- I think we've we've touched everything. It was yeah, good conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I feel like we could talk for another four or five hours and just go back and forth on a lot of. I've got so many questions that I could, I could dig into with you. But um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you, whether that's um, getting some help from the consulting stuff you're doing, or you know, just kind of uh, learning from you as well from a lot of the stuff you post. What's where's kind of the best place? What do you want people specifically following up about anything specific? So I, I post a lot on LinkedIn, follow me on LinkedIn. More recently, I've started a Substack. So there's a weekly article and newsletter coming that is going to evolve into a community. Uh, and then that's going to evolve into hopefully where the startup goes around a whole offering to help people with data transformations that I want the community to help form and shape. So that the newsletter is now four or five weeks in. I'm going to talk to that community a lot more um, over the coming months around around where this goes uh, and start to open up things like an office hour once a week. Uh, I'm really bad at selling myself. So yes, I am also doing consultancy. So if you want more direct help, please talk to me about that. But uh, that that's a, a means to get to an end, which eventually is for this uh, newsletter to send into a community that's all around data transformation and helping people drive change. So please join the newsletter if you're interested in more. This stuff shouldn't be so hard. It, it just really shouldn't be so hard to get to this information, to talk to people, to, yes, organizational change is hard, but like getting to understanding how to do this shouldn't be quite so hard. So I, I, I love the initiative there. Thank you. And thanks for the chance to join. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, and thank you so much for spending the time here. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Benny Benford, the former CDO at Jaguar Land Rover, or JLR. He's currently building out a community around data transformation. You can find a link to his Substack and his LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of 
throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. 